This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com So I wanted to share with you an idea, and I hope you apologize for my surroundings. I'm away on a trip, but I had this idea that's been percolating in my mind, and I really, really wanted to get it out there. So from this undisclosed remote location, um, I hope to share this with you. And before I do, I'm just going to challenge you to take this idea that I'm about to share and internalize it and be prepared to change at least one thing in your life. Okay? So there's this ongoing debate that I often have, usually with people from the older generation, where they want to know why it is that so many people are in therapy today for a whole host of issues that just never seem to exist. Letters, ADHD, and anxiety and depression. We have so many people today that are in therapy that we never, never, never had. And of course, in America, we're, you could call it advanced over the rest of the world, whereas in England and other European locations, people shun therapy. They stay away from it. It's more of a stigma, the way it sort of was in America maybe 20 years ago. And the older generation sometimes has a hard time wrapping their mind around how it is that so many people today feel like they need therapy. And they sort of say, well, the Holocaust generation didn't need therapy and the children of Holocaust, you know, didn't need therapy. And today, 16-year-old kids are dealing with depression and anxiety and that's just to keep it mildly besides all the really hard, traumatic things that are that are going on in their lives. Now, I don't want to dedicate this session specifically to dealing with that because... That's a very, very, very large topic. And therapy as a whole versus therapists and Rabbanim, that is a humongous topic that I don't want to step into right now. But there's definitely a truth to the idea that so many more people today are in therapy than ever before, dealing with more issues than seemingly ever before. And the question is, why is that? So I was giving a speech few months back and I was talking on a specific topic it's like 150 people in the room and at the end of the speech this woman comes over to me and she says this idea really really spoke to me um can I make a session with you can I come with my husband and we'll sit down and we'll talk to you and I said yeah of course um every night I have meetings with people so I sat down with this woman and when we started getting to the crux of what was going on, um, she said, like, let us let me understand myself, where I'm coming from, etc., etc. And then, shockingly, the issue that seemed to be like the core issue of their marriage was exactly what I had spoken about at the speech. So, at the speech, I talked about an idea. It resonated with her. She then took a meeting we sat for another two hours. And then at the end of those two hours, she's like, yeah, this is my problem. I need to work on this. So I said, okay, great. And usually when I sit with couples, I always tell them, if you don't have some sort of ischaivas, if you don't have a an accountability towards keeping towards your goals of changing and doing the things that you need to change, you're probably not going to keep to this. So... We set this up in place, and Baruch Hashem, her marriage is doing amazing. And I've been thinking about this 
woman and this couple. And the idea that she heard everything that I said in a group session. She heard it when I spoke for 150 people. Yet somehow she felt the need to come back and in person hear the whole thing again and how it pertained to her. Why? I mean, I just, I just said it. I just said it. You heard it. It resonated with you. What, what was it that resonated with you when we sat down together in a session with your husband that didn't resonate with you in the speech? And usually in a speech, it's a little bit more polished. There's a lot more thought that goes into a speech, premeditated. There's better stories, if you will. Yet, we had to sit down, go through another two hours individually, one-on-one, to wrap your mind around the thing that you have to change. How does that make sense? It's the exact same message. So, I want to share with you something that I believe to be so true. We all suffer from this. How often do you go to an event? It could be a convention. It could be a speech. It could be a parlor meeting. It could be a sheer. And you hear an idea that is so good. It really speaks to you. You're like blown away. The message, the inspiration, it's all there. You got it. You're you're sitting there and you're thinking in your brain, I'm going to change. I'm going to do something different in my life, in my marriage, with my kids. I'm going to do something different. And you are so convinced that you're going to do something different. Wake up six weeks later, six minutes later, six days later, and it just doesn't take hold. Just doesn't happen. Why not? You were you were a hundred percent convinced that this was going to happen. We have this when we go through El Rosh Hashanah, Yamim Narayim, Neila. We we make Kabbalahs. We accept things. We decide. We're changing our lives. Yet nothing seems to change. Why is that? How often do we sit in classes and speeches, and we feel that inspiration? But nothing changes. Why not? What is it in our brains, in our minds, that has to happen that we would need a follow-up session to hear the same message again that we just heard a few minutes ago? It just doesn't make any sense. So I want to share with you something that I've been thinking about because this really bothered me. And a lot of times I'm trying to get across ideas... And sometimes I'll hear feedback from people because it's a little funny talking to a camera. Camera doesn't really react. Sometimes it focuses and doesn't focus, but it's not really the same like people focusing and not focusing in a class. A lot of times I don't know what's on the other end of the lens. Like what do people react when they see a class? But sometimes people email me, they call me, they stop me in the street and they tell me, oh, I did this different or that different, which is so awesome great it's awesome to hear feedback it really is yet what is it that needs to be done differently in order to convey a message that will actually speak to somebody on the other end of the lens that's going to say wow 
I have to change something about my life. So here's the idea. Noah comes out of the Teva after a hundred or a year, 120 years of building the Teva, the one year of living in the Teva. So Noah and his family were preparing for literally the end of the world. Doomsday. They knew it was coming. And the Pasuk says that right when they come out of the Teva, it says, these are the sons of Noach, Shem, Ham, and Yafas. A few Pesukim later, it repeats that and says, these are the sons of Noach. And it goes on to list the whole, you know, the generations, everybody who came out of Noach. And the question is brought down. Why did the Torah repeat it? Right when they came out, it was Shem, Ham, and Yafas. A few seconds later, again, Shem Chaman Yafas. So Rizaman Saratskin says that when they sat in the Teva, they understood that the world around them was coming to an end. Everyone they knew was dead. Every animal was dead. Every plant was dead. They were the future of the world. And the reality of that moment those moments, those days, those weeks, those months, and that year, it inspired them to all be on the highest level possible. They knew they are the world. We are the world. We are the continuity of the whole world. And when they came out of the Teva, they were all Shem Chamanyafas, B'nai Nayach. We are everything. There's, there's no, I'm good, you're bad, I'm, I'm this, you're that. No, no, no. We are everything. Yet that inspiration, it wore off very quickly for Cham. It wore off very quickly for Yathas. Shame retained that. Cham immediately turned bad. Yathas got enamored with beauty. They changed from literally right after coming out of the Teva. You got off the boat. You changed. How in the world did that happen? And I'm going to teach you right now the three-step process to changing your life. And I want you to think for just a moment of anything in your life that you want to change. Maybe you want a better marriage. Maybe you want a better relationship with your kids. Maybe you want to dive in better. Maybe you want to learn more. Pick something, anything in your life that you want to change. And here's what you do. Convince yourself that this is better for you. What you did before is not working. Or it's working to a very limited degree. And you're about to change that right now. Because you know that in the long run, it's going to pay off for you. So let's say you decide, I want my marriage to be better. So you say, what do I need to do? What's the practical, tangible steps that I can do to make my marriage better? I have to talk nicer. I have to spend more time. Come up with a list of short attainable goals. That's the key. Short attainable goals that you can implement and do every single day. So say to yourself, I need to spend more time with my spouse. Great. Every day I have an alarm and I'm going to do that. So the first thing is inspiration. You inspire yourself. You can watch a class, Torah anytime, marriagepro.co, wherever you want. 
your favorite Jewish website. You could go to a class, speak to a rav, do whatever you want to do. But inspire yourself, convince yourself that you need to upgrade the choices that you're making in your life. That's step one, inspiration. But that's not enough. Inspiration is step one. Step two is called dedication. You have to be dedicated to this cause to see it through no matter what. So if you're inspired, that's a very short window. Inspiration lasts a very, very short amount of time. And our brains, they become callous to inspiration. The first time you heard an amazing story of Ashkacha Pratis, you were blown away. You were like, whoa, that story is mind-boggling. Hashem, He runs the world. It's unbelievable how He took this person and that event, and they all came together after 32 generations, and at that moment in time, wow, it's amazing. But then, after you hear it five, six, seven, eight times, and you hear similar stories, your brain already is like, yeah, I heard this, or it's similar, yeah, whatever, Hashem runs the world, something, I don't know. We we get inspired, and it, it, it rubs off. It doesn't last. It lasts for a little bit. So we have to internalize that feeling. And step two is become dedicated to short attainable goals that you're going to implement on a daily basis, consistently. And you're going to see that, that that happens. But that's not enough. Then you have to take step number three. And no matter what happens that's going to throw you off of your commitment, you have to push yourself back on the road and remember the inspiration and the dedication. And you have to see that through with perspiration. So it's inspiration, dedication, perspiration. Those are the three steps. No matter what happens in your life, you're going to see through that your 8.15 to 8.30 meeting with your spouse is going to happen every night. No matter what happens, you're going to stay very calm. No matter what happens, every Friday, you're going to take your kids out and spend some quality time with them. No matter what happens, you're going to daven with more kavana by specific brachas during the day. No matter what happens, fill in the blank. Whatever that is, you have to inspire yourself to do it differently. You have to dedicate yourself with short attainable goals. And then you have to actually carry out No matter what happens, you have to see it through with perspiration. Inspiration, dedication, perspiration. Those are the three steps to actually changing your life. Um, I'm here at a conference. It's a forensic accounting conference. And there's a lot of very interesting people here that are talking. One of the people was an advisor to President Bush. And he opened up his speech to 1,500 accountants, global leaders in the economy, accounting, forensic accounting, litigation, very interesting stuff. (laughs) I'm I'm joking with my wife how I'm looking around at 1,500 people who are all exactly the same. You know the personality of an accountant? I'm sure you do. So that personality (laughs) multiplied by 1,500 people is what's going on in this convention center. And it's it's very interesting to watch 
like 1,500 people with the same exact Shairish HaNeshama. You know what I'm saying? Like they pull, hold the pen at the same time, the same way, the same like nerdy accounting jokes. It's awesome. So we're having a blast over here. Anyways, this person opens up his speech and he says, we are sitting today in what's called the age of prosperity. Across the globe, there has never been a more prosperous time economically across the world in terms of tackling poverty, in terms of the lower class having things. Like people who are homeless are literally walking around with iPhones. It's it's mind-boggling the amount of prosperity that we have in the world. Just a small example. There was a global initiative to bring banking to a few, I believe it was billion people who never had access to any sort of banking. And by connecting them to simple internet, they were able to give farmers and people in outlying regions the ability to sell things on global markets. So you had women who were sitting in their houses literally knitting sweaters or creating like handmade ornaments where there's no market because there's three people and a yak that lives in their village. And all of a sudden on her phone, she's getting orders and she's banking and she's emailing and she's able to connect to a global economy. And she's now employing people in her village who are able to spread her, her, her vision, her message, create branding through Fiverr and other websites where she's able to create a logo. It's unreal, the world that we're living in right now. The amount of prosperity is out of this world. And they talk about how this should be, and it is, the age of prosperity. But the nickname that they call it is the age of anxiety. And the financial gurus are trying to figure out why is it that we live in an age where you can have anything in the world at your fingertips, yet everyone seems so depressed. Everyone seems so down. It used to be years ago that people would go into a bank and they would put their money into a CD in order to get a toaster oven, in order to get like a radio, because they were so, that would take you weeks or months to be able to save up to get that. Today we can order 10 of these items in a second. It, it, it's so simple, a radio, who in the world would bank in a specific bank because they gave you a radio? they gave you a toaster or a microphone a microwave you wouldn't even think like that but we live in an age of such prosperity we have everything we're driving the coolest cars we have so much going on yet we're so depressed we're so down why is that and he said he's open for suggestions but his suggestion was that we've shifted how we view ourselves we used to view ourselves that the person who was rich was somebody who had a family, who owned a home, who owned a car. That was the person who was rich, quote-unquote. He had meaningful things. Today, when we talk about somebody's self-worth, we view their self-worth as in what they're worth financially. What is Bill Gates worth? But we're Jews. We know that that's 100% true. The whole world is created for me. I can do anything in the world that I want. 
My self-worth is not governed by the car I drive, by the phone I have, by the clothes I wear. My self-worth is determined by the fact that I am a chilek el imam. I am a neshama. And that neshama is intrinsically valuable because Hashem put it in me. It's a part of Hashem. And if Hashem woke me up this morning, that means that He believes in me to do whatever in the world I want to set my mind to do. And if I can do that, I can self-motivate myself. And a lot of people are self-motivated to a degree. They don't necessarily 100% believe in themselves. But what they do is they believe in the concept, but not in actually getting there. Meaning, they believe that their marriage would be better if they were calmer or talk nicer, but they just don't think that they have the ability to do that. They think they need a third party, a third person, to talk to them and say to them, no, no, you could do this. I wasn't just talking in concept, in theory. I was actually talking to you. <laughs> That's the key. This this woman sat in a room with 150 people. And she heard an idea that sat in her brain and said, Whoa, I could have an amazing marriage? That sounds great. Okay, now I have to have a follow-up meeting. Because I need him to tell me that I can do it. And then to be accountable to actually carry through. There's a simple system for changing your life. Inspiration. Dedication. perspiration you have to believe that you can do it take any idea that you see whether it's in a safer whether it's in your shul from your rav whether it's whatever it may be convince yourself allow it to soak into you that your life will be more rewarding it'll be better if you allow this idea to percolate and grow within you Dedicate yourself to that cause. See it through no matter what happens. I guarantee you, your life will be so much more rewarding. Of course, there's a place for therapy. Of course, there are many very good therapists out there. Of course, people are now aware that there are more issues that we are aware of. We have names for them. We have terms for them. And it's amazing how much people are willing to submit and subject themselves to opening up their emotions to speak to somebody who's able to help them and motivate them to become a bigger, better person. Every person who reaches out and I'm able to sit with them and help them map out a course for their relationships, it's it's a schuss to be able to see people who are unbelievable at changing the course of their life. That would be so hard for so many others and so many people don't do that. People go to therapy, people go to Rabbanim, and they sit and they get guidance. Those are the strongest people in the universe. If you want to do it on your own, recognize that the best person to help you change is you. The best person to help you upgrade your marriage is you. It's not, the secret doesn't lie by somebody else. The secret lies by you. By being inspired, by being dedicated, and seeing it through with perspiration. Don't get knocked off of what you set yourself to do. And then you will see the change happen in a few days, maybe a few weeks. Sometimes it'll take a few years. But if you see it through, 
you're going to see that that initial inspiration didn't die out. And it was worth it every step of the way. Hatzacha Rabbah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.